In the heart of Cumbria in the northwest of England is a glacial lake which holds a dark secret. In the mid-19th century, a woman was held beneath the water surface by her lover until she was dead. Today she is seen walking from this lake, to the sheer horror of anybody who sees her. With alleged alien encounters, and a legend of a ruined village beneath the centre of the water, is there more to this fairly innocuous lake in the middle of the countryside than meets the eye? Tonight, join me as I go back to where it all began, the location of my first ever paranormal investigation. This week, we head to Talk and Tarn. Welcome to episode 49 of How Haunted, a weekly paranormal podcast where each episode we explore the horrible history and terrifying ghost stories of one of the most haunted places on planet Earth. I'm Rob Kirkup, author, paranormal historian and ghost hunter from the northeast of England. Allow me to be your guide as we dare to investigate in depth the often dark and troubled history of each location and of course, the chilling tales of the ghosts that reside within. This week we head to the beautiful countryside of Cumbria and ask just how haunted is Talk and Tarn? Listener discretion is advised, as each episode of How Haunted will feature gruesome tales, horrific happenings, bloody murder, and ghosts. So many ghosts. Listen on if you dare. Torgentown Country Park is located nine miles to the east of Carlisle, and it's close to the historic town of Brampton. The park is named for the 60-acre glacial lake that lies within. Tarn is derived from the Old Norse word Tårn, meaning small lake or teardrop, and Torgen comes from the Celtic Talgan, meaning brow of a hill. Torgen Tarn was formed at some point between 18,000 and 10,000 years ago, when the colossal force of moving glaciers scoured huge scars and holes into the landscape. These then filled with the water of the huge glaciers melting. Today, the Tarn is fed by natural freshwater springs. Old buckles 
urns and stone axes have been found here, indicating many centuries of occupation in the area. Torkentarn has been a popular spot for rowing since the Torkentarn Amateur Rowing Club was formed in 1859. This is now one of the oldest rowing clubs in all of England. The Torkentarn Annual Regatta is held on the first Saturday in July and attracts rowers from all over the north of England. In Victorian times, rowers changed in an elegant timber-framed building that stood over the water on stilts. The handsome sandstone boathouses around the tarn were built in the heyday of the sport. Today the main boathouse is occupied by the tea room. Torkentarn is a popular day out for visitors, with families coming to enjoy the pleasant 1.3 mile circular walk around the lake, buying an ice cream from the tea room and feeding the ducks and swans. The 165 acre woodland surrounding the lake is home to all manner of wildlife and bird life, such as red squirrels, badgers, roe deer, foxes and otters. So many common blue damselflies can be seen here between May and August that the insect is incorporated into the logo of Torg and Tarn. On the eastern side of a lake stands a bird observatory. In the summer months, visitors can see greater spotted woodpeckers, willow warblers, chiffchaffs, nuthatches, pied flycatchers and all manner of swans, ducks and geese. In the cold winter months, the Tarn offers a haven for bird species such as mallards, mute swans, brambling and widgeons. The park has a camping area open to pre-booked, organised groups. But for anyone considering spending a night here, you need to be aware that after dark, Torkentarn is a completely different prospect to how it appears on those long sunny summer's days. It would be easy to envisage that the woodland of the country park could be home to all manner of things that go bump in the night. Especially after dark when the visitors have long since dispersed and absolute darkness descends, the woodland takes on a far more sinister appearance. The country park does appear to be active, as there have been reports of unusual flashing lights coming from the dense woodland in the early hours of the morning. It seems that the lake itself is the hub of the paranormal activity at Torgentown Country Park. The cause of these happenings may be related to the grisly legend of Jessie, who lost her life beneath the murky depths of the tarn. In the 1850s, Jessie was in love with a wealthy man who she believed loved her just as much. She wanted the man to tell his mother of their love, but he forbid this, as he was also engaged to a rich landowner's daughter that Jessie knew nothing about. Jessie decided that she wanted to share their special love with the world, and in particular her family, but the man begged her to keep it secret. She refused and told him that she was going to tell everyone regardless of his wishes. He even offered her money to stay quiet, but she wouldn't agree to it. He relented and told her that if she wanted to tell her friends and family, he'd be delighted to go with her. He told her he'd meet her at Torgentown that evening and they'd tell her family together. Jessie was overjoyed and threw her arms around her true love. They met at the lakeside that evening and they kissed passionately. Before long, they were making love next to the lake, the water lapping at their bodies. As they were lost in the throes of passion, he held her head under the water while still on top of her. Jessie panicked. She fought with all of her strength to get free of his grasp, but she was a petite young lady and never stood a chance. He held her head under the water for several minutes as she fought less and less until she stopped moving altogether. 
He then took her lifeless body and placed it in three sacks. He dug a shallow grave a few foot from the shore and placed her body into it. He then replaced all the mud and rocks on top. Jessie's body was never recovered. To many, this may seem like nothing more than a legend. However, in September of 2002, 23 people witnessed the bloody apparition of a young lady walk from the lake in broad daylight. This made front page news in the area. This may well have been the restless, heartbroken spirit of poor Jessie. Another legend is that the lake is a result of a flooded village, and that if you row out to the centre of the lake on a clear day, you can see the ruined buildings at the bottom of the lake. A bell is set to ring from under the murky depths at midnight. Visitors to Torkentarn in search of the paranormal would be advised to stop off at the Blacksmith's Arms public house in the village of Torken. It is said to be haunted by the spirit of a former landlady called Maggie Stobart. With common reports of glasses being seen to move around the bar, there have also been regulars who have sworn to see the full apparition of Maggie. In October 2002, only a month after the ghostly young woman was seen by 23 daytime visitors, I was headed to Torkentarn for my first ever paranormal investigation. And this was not just any October night, this was Halloween, the scariest night of the year. The circumstances which had led to this was that I had been listening to local nighttime phone and radio show Night Owls. This was broadcast across the northeast Sunday to Thursday, 10pm till 2am, and was hosted for over 40 years by the living legend that is Alan Robson. His spooky shows were a true highlight especially when it came to Halloween. And this year, he had said that he was looking for listeners who wanted to be involved to write in and say why they would like to be part of a paranormal investigation, and he would then choose 10 and send them off to 10 different haunted locations across the region. They would each create their own team and would be his on-the-spot Night Owls ghost hunters. They would ring the show's hotline should they experience anything paranormal, and he'd get them on air straight away. I'd had an interest in the paranormal from a fairly young age, so the thought of getting involved in this immediately appealed to me. I wrote in, not expecting to hear back. After all, Night Owls had a fiercely loyal following, and it was the most listened to local phone-in radio show outside of London. But I was fortunate enough to be selected, and Alan wrote me a letter accompanied by some photocopied newspaper stories. My challenge? An overnight stay at Talk and Tarn. I needed a team. I graduated from university not long before this, so reached out to three friends I'd made while I was there. Andrew Markwell, John Crozier and David Henderson. Not because I was aware of any specific interest that they had in the paranormal, but because I enjoyed their company and thought they may be interested in having a real-life adventure. They took no convincing, and all three were on board. We visited Torkenton during the day on the Saturday before as a bit of a recce, to get a feel for the place, get familiar with specific areas we may want to focus on when it came to the big night, and to book some accommodation in advance of Halloween. On the night of Thursday the 31st of October, we got the train from Newcastle Central train station after attending the wedding of our friends Mark and Leslie earlier in the day, and we arrived at Brampton's tiny train station at around 8pm. All four of us were laden down with warm clothes, cameras, torches, tape recorders, food and flasks of hot drinks. We jumped into a taxi and asked the driver to take us to the Hare and Hounds, 
where we'd booked some rooms on our previous visit. During our journey, we asked the taxi driver if we could book him to pick us up from the pub later on to take us to the lake. He asked us what we'd be doing at the lake later in the evening, and we told him all about our forthcoming ghost hunt. He proceeded to tell us a remarkable experience he'd had just a couple of years earlier. He said he'd been driving from Brampton train station into Torken, the exact route he was taking right now, when he saw a bright green flying object that looked like a beach ball land in a field. On his return journey out of Torken, he saw a figure standing at the side of the road, which he could only describe as looking like a spaceman, and in its hand was a gadget that appeared to resemble a metallic umbrella. Suffice to say, he didn't hang around for long. If we weren't already starting to feel a bit anxious about our trip to the lake in the darkness only a couple of short hours from now, this certainly got our minds wandering. We arrived at the Hare and Hounds and a man called John showed us to our rooms. The Hare and Hounds itself is an old building and monks used to come here on their way to the nearby Lanacost Priory. We had about 90 minutes to prepare ourselves. It was a bitterly cold night, so I had two thick jumpers and a fleece to wear, along with a hat and gloves if required. I had two disposable cameras. This was 2002, so digital cameras were barely a thing, let alone the notion of having a camera on your mobile phone. I also had a digital voice recorder, a torch, pockets full of spare batteries, hand warmers in my fleece pockets, a flask of hot coffee and some snacks. With about 45 minutes to go before our taxi was due to arrive, we were ready to go. We decided to head down to the bar to grab a drink. The bar was busy and everybody seemed to be looking and talking about us, the strangers in town. Talking is a very small village with a population of under three figures. So not only did everybody immediately recognise us as not being local, but they also knew that we were the ghost hunters and we'd shortly be heading out into the dark woodland surrounding Torkentarn looking for spooks and spectres. The reason they all knew this was because when we came here to book our accommodation on our previous visit, I'd asked if there would be any problem in us coming in at around 2am, and when we were asked why we'd be out so late in talking on a weeknight, when there's nothing open that late, David immediately answered saying, we're involved in activities. Rather than have her thinking that we were burglars, or members of Al-Qaeda or something like that, I had to elaborate on his suspiciously vague answer and tell her the whole story of what had led us to talking. At 20 to 10, the time had arrived for us to leave our cosy fireside table in the bar and head out into this freezing cold, drizzly October night. As we gathered our belongings together, everybody in the bar was wishing us good luck for our ghost hunt. We arrived in the car park and got out of the taxi. It was pitch black. No moon or stars in the sky, no street lights, no nearby houses, just fields all around us and dense, dark woodland. Having visited Torkenton less than a week ago, we had a really good idea of the layout of the place, but that didn't stop us becoming disorientated after only about 30 seconds. The car park was nowhere near the tea room, but before long we got our bearings and we reached our destination. We utilised a table under an undercover pavilion which provided us some shelter from the drizzle and from where we could see the lake. We would use this as our base for the night. We sat at the table and decided to stay there for a little while until our eyes adjusted to the darkness 
and we had time to decide our next move. It was so dark that I almost stepped into the lake several times thinking it to be the pathway. Everything was just different shades of black. The calls of the owls and the ducks were easily distinguishable, although every time a duck quacked, Andy would say, Listen, a dog. The lapping of the lake was loud, and could often be mistaken for the sound of footsteps. The fact is, we were scared, and it was fear and paranoia that had us thinking like this. We had to phone the Night Owls radio show at 10 o'clock to let them know we were in place, but unfortunately every time we tried to call it was engaged. At around 20 past 10, we saw a bright flash in the forest to the left of where we were. It couldn't have been lightning, it wasn't a firework, so what was it? To me it looked like the flash from a camera, but if it was, why would anybody be there and who were they? I dismissed it as being a camera, because the woodland is so dark you would need a torch to see clearly enough to move safely, and I didn't see any torchlight at all from that direction. Shortly afterwards we heard a car in the car park to the right of us. The door slammed, and the car revved its engine and sped off into the night. We weren't alone, and we all knew it. We turned off our torches. We'd had them on since the moment we got here, but we didn't want to advertise our position until we were fully aware of who else was here, and where they were. I was beginning to wish I was back in the safety of the bar. At half past ten, we plucked up the courage to leave the relative safety of our bench, and follow the path around the lake. We picked up our bags and our torches, swallowed hard, and headed off into the darkness and the unknown. We went clockwise around the lake, following the route, which is a little over a mile and a quarter long, with the majority of it involving walking through the dense woodland that surrounds the lake. We decided to stick together, as we were unsure if we were alone, and anybody who is out in the darkness at this time of night in the middle of nowhere is surely up to no good. Unless of course they were also ghost hunters, it was Halloween after all. We slowly and quietly made our way around the lake, scanning the area ahead and behind us with our torches. I was also looking out into the lake, as that was where the ghost of Jesse would emerge from, but unfortunately, it was virtually impossible to see anything. If anything was there, it would be too dark to see it, due to there being no moon tonight. Nevertheless, I would often shine my torch towards the water, in the hope of catching a glimpse of something. Two thirds of the way around the lake is the Tarn End Hotel, and it was fairly well lit, so upon reaching that we all felt a little better. We decided not to stop at this point though, as four lads wearing black and carrying torches may have looked a little suspicious, so we carried on back towards our base. The entire journey took us around 40 to 50 minutes, and I certainly felt a lot better now, as we'd been all around the lake and hadn't seen or heard anyone, so we can now concentrate on what we came for. Ghosts. We had a hot drink, and sat down and watched the water for a while, in the hope of seeing for ourselves a bloody apparition walk from the lake. I also occasionally looked up to the sky, as you never know, I may have seen the UFO that the taxi driver told us about. At 11.30, we still hadn't managed to get through to the Night Owls radio show to let them know that we were here, so we called the hotline number that is for people who have seen something while on their hunt, to explain that we were here and we just hadn't been able to get through. At just before midnight, something moved in the darkness about a metre in front of us. It was a fox, 
It ran past us, then disappeared back into the woodland. As we reached midnight, we stayed silent, hoping to hear the bell that is supposed to ring out from under the water, but we heard nothing. Just after midnight, we decided to take our second walk around the lake, this time heading in the opposite direction, anti-clockwise. What was now obvious was that it had suddenly got darker. It was difficult to make out anything without torchlight. The temperature had also dropped significantly. Not long after we set off, I heard a loud splash in the lake about a foot out into the water. I quickly shone some light in that direction, but couldn't see anything. We walked on. The Tarn End Hotel had now turned off all of its lights, so we didn't benefit from any extra lighting upon passing this point this time around. I was fairly relaxed, but everybody else seemed a little jumpy. This was proven when David complained when we were passing through a gate, and I let it bang by mistake. He complained that Taylor and Charlie had been letting gates bang all night long. Shortly afterwards, I was sure I heard voices behind us. Quiet, I said. Everybody stopped. We listened intently, expecting to see somebody or hear somebody. But nothing. We walked on, but every few minutes somebody would say, Stop, I heard something. We were all getting a bit jumpy again. I suddenly thought I heard horses galloping, but I didn't see anything at the time, and nobody else passed comment. However, Andy did mention it later, completely unprompted. We also heard a really loud bang that made us all jump that we had no explanation for. We had no idea what it was and we had no idea where it came from. We arrived back at our makeshift camp just before one in the morning and I got out my hand warmers as it was raining quite heavy by now and it was freezing cold. Not long afterwards I suggested that we go around the lake one last time but only David and I fancied it. John and Andy were concerned about how dark it had gotten, and there was the very real possibility of somebody just walking into the lake. So we all agreed to stay put, as we had a really good vantage point of the lake. At 20 past 1, I saw a bright light on the other side of the lake, directly opposite where we were. And at the same time, Andy spotted a bright light on the side of the lake to the right of us. I also saw this in the corner of my eye. I thought it may have been a car, but we never heard a car arrive, so what was it? At two in the morning, our night was over, so we headed back to the car park to meet our pre-booked taxi. When we arrived in the car park, there was a Ford Fiesta parked up with its internal light on, and the windows were all steamed up. Yep, that's exactly what was going on. It was Halloween after all, the perfect night to get the willies. We turned our torches off and gave them a wide berth, as four blokes dressed all in black wandering around in the early hours of the morning would have been a thing of nightmares. Our taxi turned up soon after, and we were all glad to get back to the hare and hounds and the warmth of our beds. Everyone thoroughly enjoyed our evening at Talk and Ton, and our first ever paranormal investigation. We enjoyed everything about the experience. It was just such a shame that Jesse hadn't made an appearance. We had heard some weird noises and a few strange lights, but unfortunately nothing conclusive, and we were out in the countryside after all, so it was by no means a controlled environment. The truth is, that even if something was out there with us, it was too dark to see your hand in front of your face, let alone anything else. 
As we left the Hare and Hounds to set off home on Friday morning, early, at around 7.30am, John took a photo of the supposedly haunted Blacksmith's Arms, which is a pub just over the road from where we were staying. In one of the lower windows is a bright light. I took a photo of this pub at the same time and there's nothing like this on my photo. The photograph is over on the Instagram at How Haunted Pod. Let me know what you think. What could it be? Could this be the ghost of Maggie, a former landlady, who is said to remain at the pub in death? Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. You can follow How Haunted on Twitter at at HowHauntedPod or over on Instagram at HowHauntedPod where you will see photos galore relating to talk and tarn. If you want to get in touch, you can do so by visiting the website at www.how-haunted.com or you can email me directly at rob at how-haunted.com. Feedback, location suggestions and your own experiences are all more than welcome. Feel free to ask me any questions you like and I'll answer them all on a dedicated Q&A episode. If you'd like to support the show, you can sign up to one of three Patreon tiers. They start at as little as £1. If you'd like to get early ad-free access to episodes, as well as access to exclusive episodes where you can join me in an actual paranormal investigation and hear the audio as it happened, you can gain access to all of these episodes right now for less than the price of a pint. There's also a tier where not only do you get all of that, but you can also get yourself some exclusive How Haunted merch, including a mug and a t-shirt as well as join me in an actual paranormal investigation via livestream. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash howhauntedpod to find out more. If you aren't a fan of Patreon, or perhaps would prefer to make a one-off donation to support the podcast, why not donate £2 to buy me a coffee? You can do this by going to buymeacoffee.com forward slash howhauntedpod. All the information on how you can support How Haunted is in the podcast episode description and over on the website. If you've enjoyed this episode, if enjoy is the right word, then please subscribe and review the podcast on your podcast provider of choice. It really does help other people to find How Haunted. Next time out, we're celebrating How Haunted's 50th episode by doing something a little bit different. I will take you along on a ghost walk of England's second city, and I will be there on location, recording from these dark, scary places. Next week, we ask, just how haunted is Birmingham? Thank you so much for accompanying me for our paranormal adventures once again. Stay safe, and join me next time, when we will once again ask the question, How haunted? How haunted?